I am going to actually share something um, that I didn't share in the first service because I feel like it's specific to somebody here and it has nothing to do with my message. So if it sounds bizarre, that's where we're going to go. Um, it's just a story. It's a quick story. And, th and that is when, I, um, when the Word of God um, became alive to me, that happened in August of 1993 in Denver, Colorado. And I was among a bunch of people, thousands of people, listening to this old Polish man speak. And he was speaking about the Bible, and he was talking about Matthew, Mark chapter 8, I think it was, where the disciple, or Jesus, the disciples tell Jesus, some people are saying, you're Elijah, this, that, and the other. And Jesus turns and says, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter looks and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I felt like in that moment, the Lord spoke to me and said, Tom, who do you say that I am? And I just have this really strong urge in my spirit that somebody here this morning, and I'm not, this, don't worry, I'm not calling anybody out. I just want you to know that the Lord's asking you a question, who do you say that I am? And he's giving you opportunity today in the presence of God and in, in, in the worship and in, in meeting with God and the love of a, a church family to answer that. And so if I can be a help in any way to you as you're deciding who Jesus is, um, I want you to know that that, that decision is, is the question, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? So that, that one moment changed my life. I finally decided, okay, I've heard a lot about Jesus. But um, I, I really, for the first time, uh, recognized who he was as the Son of God. Christ, or Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And that, that answer chase, changes everything. Amen? So um, that was free. <laughs> um, but it's for somebody. I don't know who it is. I can't, I can't get it out of my mind all, all, all the worship time here, so I just thought I'd share it. Um, we have been doing a series called uh, One Another. Has anybody been blessed by the One Another series? Anybody been stretched, frustrated, feeling a little bit like, I don't know, besides me, the pastor on stage? Yeah, I think it's been a bit difficult. It's been really fun. It's been a great thing for the church at large, but I think it's also been really difficult and stretching. And like, if I'm really, really going to live this thing, that means that I need to change, me personally. So I'm calling it Making Room. Um, we we sp spent a few weeks, we talked about loving one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, being compassionate to one another, carrying one another's burdens, spurring one another on. And this week, um, our topic is actually hospitality, um, which I think is kind of funny because it, it's not exactly the first thing that I thought would be, be great to preach on, but I do believe it's what the Holy Spirit wants me to share today, if that'd be all right. Um, and I, I do like to start with stories, so if you've never heard me talk before, it's generally a mix of a litany of scriptures and a bunch of stories. And then I let the Holy Spirit weed that out in your heart, and we'll just go from that. But my first, my, my first story uh, to kick this off, because I thought, Lord, I'd love, to, I'd love a story to kind of talk about hospitality, right? Because I, I like laughing, and it's fun, and I didn't think of anything for the last two weeks. And then this morning, wouldn't you know what I told Melissa as I'm getting ready, I'm like, I got the story! So um, her parents... Um, Kathy and Dennis um, own a, a big house in Puyallup, Washington um, that they're trying to sell. So if anyone wants, knows someone wants to buy a house, it's for sale. Shameless plug. But anyhow, um, when their kids moved out, they had this big house and decided to um, do this, to, to offer hospitality. And so um, what they ended up doing, I, I think it was, I, I don't, I think it was for income purposes probably more than anything, you know, just trying to figure things out. What do we do with this big house? It's ginormous. And... Um, so what they ended up doing is there's a program that started probably, I don't know, eight, ten years ago out in Tacoma, I think at, um, oh, I don't remember the college, but anyhow. And what it had to do with was training uh, FAA-certified uh, flight mechanics because um, 
up until, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, if you flew to China, you had to have a mechanic on board your plane that was FAA certified to fix the plane because nobody over there was certified to do that. So we had some deal worked out and they started sending students to the US to uh, fix planes and learn the maintenance thing and get certified and that whole thing. So the first two students, um, we lived out there at the time, so we got to know them, were, um, I think their names were, I think they were the first two, I, knew, I know what their names are, Zen Chao and Ryan. Uh, Ryan took an American name and so he, um, they come and they, they start getting acclimated, right? New culture, new food, new everything. They've never lived in America before. And so um, it took them you know, a while, like it would anybody. And one of the things that was new to them actually was the dishwasher. Um, and so they would see every night, um, I, for whatever reason, neither one of them just had a dishwasher, I don't know. Um, they would see every night as my in-laws would take the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. And of course, my in-laws um, have toy poodles. If anybody besides our crazy family are toy poodle people, they had a Pierre and honey. And they would run up and immediately lick the dishes clean. And so Zen Chow and Ryan only saw my in-laws putting the dishes in the dishwasher, the dogs would clean them, they would close this machine, and in the morning take the dishes out and put them in the cupboard. So they had no idea, what, they thought it was just for the dogs to clean their dishes, and one morning she says, why do you let your dogs clean your dishes? I just thought that was kind of funny. It cracks me up. Um, because how many know, like hospitality is cultural, right? What we do in our culture might be a little bit different, doesn't make it good or bad, but it is cultural, depending on how you grew up, where you grew up. Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of funny to kick it off. Anyhow, as we begin, why don't you do me a favor and stand with me, and we are going to um, just share with you the, the, the verse out of Peter that we're going to kick off with. It's going to be foundational, what's kind of causing us to move forward in this hospitality thing. Hospitality is all over the New Testament, um, but this, this piece is our, is our verse. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 through 11, says, The end of all things is near, therefore... Be alert and so of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And here it is in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The grumbling gets some people. Uh, verse 10, myself included, I'm not going to lie. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's a large portion of Scripture, um, but I just want to give you the context for what it says. And right in the middle of it, it says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You can have a seat. Uh, it's interesting to note that... Um, the gospel, the good news, consists of a couple things. It consists of promises that we're supposed to believe about who Jesus is and all that kind of stuff. And it also consists of commands that we're supposed to obey. And this verse is one of the, the latter. It, it is simply a command that we're supposed to obey. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so I'm going to take the first section and just talk through what hospitality is. The definition in, in, in the internet, I just Googled it. What's the definition of hospitality? The first one that comes up says this, the generous reception and entertainment of guests. Okay, fair enough. I'm not really sure that's what the Bible definition of hospitality is, but that's kind of what we understand hospitality to be, right? The generous reception and entertainment of guests. We've all had guests over at our house or been a guest maybe. 
So we understand that. We have some context for it. What's interesting to note is the, the word hospitality in this verse um, basically has the, the, the meaning of simply loving strangers. So the context we're using as we talk about this is the New Testament context for hospitality is loving strangers. Isn't that interesting? Um, you know, it wasn't until about 400 A.D. that the idea of like a hospital or uh, hostels and hotels really came about. Up until that time, um, particularly for the New Testament church, all hospitality was done at the individual level. If you were traveling, you would find a home to stay in. Uh, an interesting conversation one time, if anybody remembers, uh, last time Pastor Tunde came here, I, uh, I got the privilege of picking him up at the airport, and he said, one of the things that you probably don't know about um, your founding pastor, Pastor Jeff, is he's unlike anybody else we really have at our church in, in northern Nigeria, in Kaduna. He, they said he actually likes to stay at people's homes. A lot of other people we bring in, they want the fancy hotels, but Jeff actually is okay staying in someone's home. And I, was, I would propose that's because that's, that is what New Testament hospitality is, right? Taking care of one another, loving each other. So I'm, I'm reading this book, and there's a couple definitions that I think are great. One of them is this hospitality means extending to strangers a quality of kindness usually reserved for friends and family. I'd say that's true. Do you have, do you have some uh, quality of kindness maybe you reserve for friends and family? Hospitality is given away freely. Another one would be the distinctive quality of Christian hospitality is that it offers a generous welcome to the least of these with no concern for advantage or benefit to the host. It's going to cost you something, isn't it? To host some people, to love some people, to love strangers. Everyone say, love strangers. Love strangers. That's hospitality. So I actually had a, 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 a tutor. My tutor was an experience in hospitality. I'm not saying I've, I've learned it all, but I, I got hospitality kind of thrown in my face. Years ago, it was about uh, 2002, three. I went to, uh, I took my youth group, I was a youth pastor in a small um, church in upstate New York, and somebody had told me about a soup kitchen in Alphabet City, they call it, I think, in Manhattan. Um, and so I packed up the kids into a 15-passenger van and my old uh, Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra, if anybody remember those big old station wagons? A couple people do with the seats that face backwards, you know? And so we kind of trucked on down to New York, and uh, I fully anticipated um, just a soup kitchen. Anybody ever serve at a soup kitchen before? It's a good thing to do. I encourage it. It's wonderful. I love the work people do in, in caring for um, those in need. So I, I'm like, I've done this before. I've, I've served in a soup kitchen. I can do this. Um, but what I encountered was something completely different. It, it was that. It was caring for their physical needs, but I, I did get in actual schooling, because I feel like the Lord used that to teach me what caring and loving for a stranger really looked like. Um, the place we went actually had a scripture that they used to teach us as the volunteers, this is how you're going to love the people that come into our building tomorrow. We came on a Friday, the, the soup kitchen was on a Saturday, it was actually a breakfast, it was on a Saturday morning, and the scripture was out of Luke, chapter 22. The disciples are, at this point, um, having a little disagreement, they're trying to figure out who among them is the greatest? You ever been there? Who's the greatest? And Jesus comes in and he, he drops this bomb, which I think is perfectly in line with exactly how Jesus always talked. It's so wonderful. In verse 27, it's Luke 22, 27. Jesus simply, it's a whole conversation. I'm pulling one piece out because this is so important. He said, who is greater? The one who is at the table, seated at the table, or the one who serves? 
Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So the name of the ministry was called the Father's Heart Ministry. And they said, tomorrow morning, we're going to open the doors. And about 700 people are going to come through the doors. And we're going to seat them at tables. And they're going to be our honored guests. And I want you to know, you great volunteers from upstate New York, that they're the greater ones, not you today. That they're the ones we're honoring. They're the ones we're blessing. They're the ones God has allowed to come into our home here, this church. And we have a great opportunity to love them. And they invited us to love them well with them. So, uh, you know, these, these valued, precious, honored guests, a good majority of them were homeless. Um, they, would come, they would come in the morning. It was really interesting. And they lined up all down the street. And a lot of them will have their life in a shopping cart. You ever seen that? And so one of the ways they honored them is they actually set up a secure valet parking for their shopping carts. So people could come and put their, valet, their cart in, they'd get a ticket, and they could get their cart back after breakfast because people wouldn't leave, all, leave their possessions outside. They did things to specifically love people where they were at. Um, there, were no, there were no soup kitchens lines at this soup kitchen. You know how you, you kind of go in and you scoop out whatever it may be, eggs and bacon, and people go down the line with their tray. Uh, they didn't do that. My, my team of young people became the waiters and waitresses. They would come through the door, and they would graciously seat our honored guests at tables. Would this table be okay for you, sir? How many in your party? And they'd, they'd sit them down, and then they became waiters and waitresses and served them all morning long. Because greater is he who sits at the table than he who serves. And they knew that. And so as, as the morning kind of went on, in fact, the, how it started blew me away. The doors open at 7 a.m., the lines down the street, people are starting to get their valet parking in order with their carts. The pastors come out, and it's like old home days. They're hugging and kissing and joyful. And every bit of it was completely honest, completely sincere. You know what I'm saying? It's like a family reunion that happens once a week. It was so, um, it wasn't stunning just to me, but it was so stunning that while we were there, we actually had, um, uh, this is years ago now, like I said, um, early 2000s, um, sociologists from NYU there. And they were studying, or I don't know if they were there the weekend we were there, or maybe the pastor had told us this was happening. They were studying their interaction with the Asian culture because the Asian culture generally is very standoffish. When they, and so they had a lot of first-generation immigrants from Asia. And um, these, these people were not that way. They weren't doing the normal, you know, bow or whatever it was to kind of keep space. These, these little old women and older men and people that were first-generation immigrants from Asia were just jumping and hugging the pastors. They were loving on them. They were kissing them on the cheek. Sorry, I touched the mic. And the, the sociologists were kind of like, you know, I don't, we don't know what's going on here. What, are, what, what is different about what you're doing that you're actually breaking through like cultural paradigms? And uh, the pastor just said, it's just loving people. It's just loving the stranger. It's just hospitality. When they would sit down at the tables, they, the, the, the Holy Spirit actually spoke to the pastor and said, you can't scramble eggs because scrambled eggs speaks of a large group of people. You have to cook every egg individually. And the young people would bring them plates and serve them and say, could we offer you anything more? Because God's love, how many know, is just completely generous, right? We don't run out of it. And so um, to this day, the, the, this, I actually went online and looked at it. Their, um, their record is somebody asked for 22 plates of food. Because there's always enough, isn't there? With God, there's always enough. So for me... This was the first time that I really encountered what, what a Holy Spirit hospitality looked like, what loving the stranger in a, in a context of the church could look like. When the doors opened and the band started playing and they ushered the people in, my initial reaction 
actually was the first time I, I was there um, was I just wept. I, I literally had to turn around and kind of get myself all um, cleaned up and I came back because I just encountered Jesus so much in the crowd of people that it was so much more than just the food. I literally encountered Jesus in and amongst all the serving. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, so I saw people being loved with no pretense. I saw honest embraces. I saw true joy. And I saw a glimpse of what making room in a Christian community could really look like. So our verse is 1 Peter 4.9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This verse is funny because it actually talks about hospitality in the context of the church. The word means loving strangers, but obviously in our, our church, for the most part, we're not going to be strangers. There will be some strangers, right? We meet new people all the time. We have a larger church, particularly if you come at one service all the time. You may not know people from the other service. Um, but this, this scripture is saying, you know that same love you do where you love the stranger, you're loving people on the street? Bring it into the body of Christ. Make sure we love each other that intentionally, that purposefully, with that much you know, passion that we would when we try to love people into the kingdom of God with the same heart. So maybe you know you can't, or I can't, serve 700 people breakfast out of my home. That might get to be a bit much, right? Um, but you probably could, or I probably could, invite somebody over for dinner at Christmas so they don't spend it alone. Amen? Maybe you can invite a stranger from church, from the, the other service that you've never met before. Specifically come a different service and say, hey, I want to find someone I've never met, and I just want to, for no reason at all, just invite them over, love on them, and have them come over to my home. Share a coffee, share a lunch, whatever it may be. One of my favorite things to see is sometimes there, last life group season there was groups called Dinner for Eight, and there was literally no agenda. It was just eight people that got together to eat. And I think, man, you have eight Christians together sharing food that all love Jesus. That's going to go probably to some pretty cool places. Amen? All right. One of the easiest ways to practice hospitality in New Life Church, if you want to get the gears going, is just be involved with life groups. This is kickoff Sunday. It's kind of the reason I chose uh, hospitality to begin with. I just really felt the Lord wanted to, to do something on hospitality. I chose it, to be honest with you, because of life groups. We're going to go somewhere different in a minute, but I do want to highlight this fact. You want to get involved in being hospitable and loving people? Lead a life group. You say, oh, I couldn't lead a life group. That's too intimidating. Ah, nah, we can work with you. There's, we can help train you. We can help equip you. We can help bring someone alongside you to lead it together. There's a process we go through. Maybe at the end you say, no, I couldn't lead a life group. Well, maybe you could host a life group. One of the things that we actually don't have a lot of around here are host homes. You say, I'm not interested in hosting or in leading the life group, but I got a great home and I love having people over. Well, that's a great idea because I got leaders with nowhere to host. So we got leaders, we got host homes. And the third is just joining a life group because how many know that you being there, you showing up to a group, actually it, 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 it participates in loving the stranger. It's part of the answer people are looking for, right? We can't love people that don't show up, and you're part, of the, you're part of the answer to some other person's problem. As we get together in community, as we love each other in community, we actually find Jesus in our midst. Anybody else ever find Jesus in the midst of a life group? Yeah, amen. You, you get an encounter with God, and it came through a life group. We got some profound things actually happening in life groups around here right now. People's lives getting touched and changed. We hear testimonies often about Jesus literally showing up in the midst of a group where someone's either identity is touched or changed, God speaks into, or there's a healing that happens. Life groups are, are critical to what we're doing at New Life Church. 
since you got the life group pastor and I have the mic, I just want to tell you a little bit about what's going on. Briefly. Maybe you have, uh, would like to be part of a marriage group. We got that. We got a group for moms with little ones. We got that. Maybe you want to learn how to pastor your kids, not just discipline them, but teach them how to pray for the sick. We got that. Maybe you're like, I just want a group where anybody's welcome, including my crazy kids. We got that. All on page three. Maybe you want to do a book club. Maybe you're interested in the book of Job. Maybe you're interested in doing something where we connect your physical health and exercise, this is for women, with spiritual growth. We got that. Uh, we got a book club uh, about uh, John Bevere's book, God, Where Are You? We got a book, or we got a, a time together. We're going to be discussing the book of Ephesians called Becoming an Overcomer in Christ. These are all for women, the stuff going on. Maybe you can craft, you can, you can knit, you can crochet, you can sew. We got a group of people that's making a difference in uh, Southern Maine Medical Center called Caring Crafters. We got that. Maybe you want to learn about the authority of the believer and gather with some women or uh, gather together just to worship together with a group of women. We got that. Maybe you're a guy and you want to just get together with some other men. We got just men's group happening on Monday, night, Monday nights around here. We have a men's morning prayer on Sunday morning. We have a basketball night. Uh, we have a breakfast club to get together and discuss a book and just hang out over at Panera and have a cup of coffee. We have men on a mission. If your to-do list is longer than your day is long, they'll help you out. We have a, a men's group in someone's home, and we have SoulCon, which is a group that deals with self-discipline, which doesn't sound too much fun, but I'll tell you, it's a pretty wild group. It's awesome. Uh, we have some young adult groups, young adult trivia night, um, just going out and, and, and enjoying life together, staying connected throughout the week. Um, and Rooted is a group that is studying the book of Galatians. All good stuff. Everyone say good stuff. Good stuff. You'll say whatever I ask you to say. <laughs> we have uh, Empowering Relationships. It's an ancient paths group. It's going to be an eight-week course starting with a seminar. Super powerful. We have a group that's a sermon-based group. You just want to talk about the sermon, pray through stuff together, process it. We have a Wednesday morning prayer group. We have a group that's uh, for the Russian community. If you have a, a heart for the Russian community or would love to speak Russian, you can go to the Russian group. Uh, we have a Weight Watchers group, a Financial Peace University group, a group about creation uh, that's taught by a gentleman who totally has the credentials to do that. If you want to learn about creation science, get on that group, and a group that's talking about healing from scriptures. There's a lot of stuff going on. The question is, what am I going to get involved with this time around to not just connect with the topic of healing or creation or whatever it would be, but really to connect with the people involved? Amen? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So in all honesty, that was kind of my intention to share with you today. And then as I'm studying, I, I realized that there's an important question that I didn't answer, which is simply this. Why is making room for others so important? Why? Why does the Lord care so much? I'm going to skip the most obvious reason, so I apologize, but it's really obvious. The first reason is we need it for each other, right? The obvious reason is there's people that need the love the compassion, the welcome that you bring, the smile, the warmth, the embrace. They need that. You bring it. You, you are the hands and feet of Christ to some people that are looking for a Savior. Amen? Or who might know Jesus, but just be in a, in a time where, hey, let's be honest, we all need that. We all need that connection of love and community. Um, but I feel like today where the Lord wants to go is something a little bit different. It's out of Luke chapter 14. I have a couple more scriptures. This is a, is a big, long one here, so I'm going to actually probably read it out of this. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. All right. 
that would be really awkward because that's John. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Then Jesus said to his host, interestingly enough, notice how many times Jesus is hosted in Scripture versus the times he's hosting something. Even the Last Supper, he didn't host it. It was at somebody else's house. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. How many times do we invite people that are comfortable for us? You know, we invite our friends. That's all we invite, which is okay. That's good, too. We should do that. But I think what the scripture is saying is, you know what, let's be aware of the fact that there's people out there that, that are very uncomfortable for us. Um, I, uh, just recently, I was, I was talking, actually helping out a lady, um, uh, moving some of her luggage, some, some stuff, and she was, she was so crippled that she had a, a, a thing under each arm. But every movement of her body actually was, it was very, very painful for her. How many know, like, outside of just her own pain, like, she's, she's got that. That's, that's, that's something she lives with every day. But for me as a believer, you can actually look at that and be like, that's a lot of work just to help her get from point A to point B. That's going to take time out of my, that's going to, that's going to cost me something to get involved with that. And so we look at this list of people, the lame, the blind, the, the poor, and, and, and you say, that, that group of people will cost me something to get involved with. Isn't it interesting? There's a great quote from an author, C.S. Lewis. I love it. He said, you know, if, I'm going to mess it up, but you'll, you can Google it later and get it right. But he said something along the lines of, um, if you want a religion that's going to be comfortable, I certainly wouldn't suggest Christianity. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It is. All right, so Jesus is telling us to get involved with those people. He's actually telling us to go after people that are marginalized. And then it says, when one of those at the table heard this, they said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I honestly think he just said that because in the moment he got nervous and didn't know what to say. Right? Do we ever do that? Like God shows up and starts talking. Like, I don't know. Someone's got to say something. Uh, verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, everything's ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a field and I must go attend to it. Please excuse me. The second one said, I, I bought five yoke of oxen um, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another one said, I got married. I can win above y'all. I'm real busy, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the, bland, the blind, and the lame. Those, those, that exact group of people Jesus is talking about. The servant says, sir, we did that, but there's still room. Say there's still room. Say there's still room in my life. It may be busy. There's still room in my heart. Somebody say, say there's still room in my heart. You said it, not me. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get 
a taste of my banquet. This is an interesting um, story. And the point is this. The point is that God invites everybody. Did you catch that? By the end of it, he says, compel them all to come in. Just have everybody come and fill my house. Many are called, but few are chosen. The only people that are rejected are those that choose not to attend. This is, a, this is a verse actually about hospitality. There's a special, special focus on the marginalized, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Um, I, I don't exactly know all the ins and outs of why that is, but I have a hunch. It's simply because we serve a very merciful God. He's full of kindness. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. In fact, today, if you're, if you're gathered with us and, and your life seems overwhelmed and you, you got more problems and you got questions to answer, you don't even know where to go, I, I, would, I would say throw yourself into this truth that God is a God of mercy. And I believe that, that, that the prayer, the cry of mercy from a heart filled with faith never goes unanswered. Because our God loves, he loves to come in and be merciful to us when we need him. Anybody know that to be true? Amen. In our culture, we aren't hosting banquets very often, but we still eat. We still gather on food and we still invite people over. There are many good things in our Christian walk. Life groups is a good thing. Coming to church is a good thing. Um, working at soup kitchens is a good thing. But eating, eating's essential. It's a great thing. You can, you can live if you don't come to a life group. I don't know how long you're going to live, you stop eating. Isn't it interesting that spiritual truth can be wrapped around something so core to our everyday life as eating. In fact, you look at the New Testament and look through the instances of hospitality, the vast majority of everything that has to do with hospitality revolves around food. Jesus rises from the dead and he cooks a fish breakfast, which I can't wrap my head around, for uh, the disciples. And they, they, they meet Jesus around food. The last thing he did was had a last supper that involved food. There's great meaning to it all, but at the end of the, at the, end of the day... We are people that God created to need food. And sometimes I think we make things way more complicated than they need to be. Amen? Jesus says, cook them a steak. You can't cook a steak, cook a burger. You can't cook a burger, buy them a burger. Have them come over to your house. Have them have something to eat. Find a way to love somebody. We used to go to this Bible study called Renew at this, at this lady's house when I was in high school. Um, I told you I'd tell you stories all morning long. Um, and she would... Um, it was like two years long. We studied all these Bible things, and in all honesty, I can't tell you what exactly I learned theologically there. I can say that it was, I'm sure, completely foundational to who I am. I'm not, I'm not bypassing that as not important because it was very, it was profound stuff that the Lord did in those meetings. But I can tell you, I have distinct memories of her making us chicken parm. I remember the day that she had... Um, a bowl full of dough and taught us how to dig gnocchis. And we made, learned to make homemade gnocchis. My family still uses that recipe today. I remember when she pulled me aside because she as well was Italian and we used to make these cookies called pizzales. Anybody? Yeah, come on. I, give me a witness. Yes, and, and, and I said, how do you get your pizzales so crispy? And she says, I dump a little of my husband's booze in them. <laughs> Do you know what's funny is it's not about the food, right? It's really not. But in those moments, she made me feel welcome. She made me feel appreciated, valued, and loved. And her loving hospitality taught me more than words could ever, could ever teach me. 
And I have, a, I have a, I don't know, suggestion. I would like to propose something. That hospitality can happen without discipleship. But I'm not sure discipleship can actually happen without hospitality. Amen? We can sit through classes and learn about Jesus, but real discipleship comes when we allow someone into our life to just do life together. Sometimes that'll be fixing your car. Sometimes that'll be just doing dinner together. But that's where discipleship really happens. And I just want to encourage you that we don't need to wait until our circumstances change to make room in our home or make room at our dinner table or make room in our heart. Because it doesn't matter how, how much room I have in my in my home or my dinner table, if my heart doesn't have room in it, then there's really no biblical hospitality happening. And this morning, I think that's the connection God's going to make, or at least wants to make in my life, in your life, about why hospitality is so important. So we read that verse where Jesus says, go out quickly, he tells us, and he says, go find the people that are poor, crippled, blind, and lame. Right? You still with me? I'm going to read another verse, and you're probably going to be like, I have no idea how you connect these two. This is very bizarre. But for me, it made a really big connection. I'm hoping to communicate it really well. But I want to give context because I recognize some people that some people have been here for years. Real quick, I just think this would be fun. How many people have been here for longer than 20 years? Any, any hands? Real up high. Don't be ashamed. First service would have been really full. 10 years. Give me 10 years. Look at those. Five years. I'm, my hand's still technically not up, so you guys all beat me. I'm only at like two and a half. Um, some people have been around for years. Other people are new to new life and new to the faith and new to the Bible and new to walking this life together. So I want to give some context. <laughs> the context is this. We're going to read a verse out of Revelations. Revelations was written by a guy named John. The scripture says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Um, I don't really know what that means. Let's be honest. I mean, we're all visualizing something. I don't know how holy that picture is in your head. But he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he hears a voice. He turns around, and when he, when he responds to the voice, because response is so important in the kingdom of God, he responds to the voice. It says as soon as he did that, it launched him into a spiritual encounter. That becomes the book of Revelation is what, what we have written down. He sees things and hears things and has got... Words given to him, that, be, that, that that's what the book of Revelation becomes. In the first few chapters of that book, um, he actually discusses and shares with us five letters that he was given to deliver to seven different churches. Um, seven is a, is a complete number. It's a, it's a biblical number that, 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 that talks about completeness. And so it's, it's really easy to say, look, at those seven letters aren't just for those seven historical churches. They're actually for us today. So we can all take some truth out of those letters, even though we don't live in the cities that those letters were addressed to. Tracking with me? All right. So we don't live in Laodicea, which is the letter we're going to read, but it does apply to us. So this is out of Revelation 13, 17. As we read this, keep in mind the call Jesus has to us to host and love the stranger, particularly the poor, the blind, the cripple the marginalized, that group of people. He says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea in verse 14, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. 
You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you don't realize, listen to this, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I find it interesting that Jesus responds to the people of this church and says, you're that broken people. I've told, my, I've told my church when you host a banquet, when you're inviting people in, go look for the broken. Go look for those people that are, that are difficult, that have a lot going on, wrong, that are, they got problems, that are hard to love. And Jesus looks at that church and he says, that's you guys. You think it's not, but it is. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy for me a few things, to buy for me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich. So he doesn't just leave them in their poor, wretched state. He's like, I got some good news I want you to do. Go buy for me gold. The Bible says to buy the truth and sell it not. That wisdom is like a pearl. Buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. It speaks of our righteousness. Our righteousness in Christ. We only get from the Lord and what he's done for us. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. It says those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Now watch this. This is the hospitality piece. So he says, you are the people that I told you to invite to your banquet. Now his response is this. Here I am, verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This, this is that why I think there's the why of hospitality. I think Jesus wants us to learn to be hospitable to people so we can prepare ourselves to host him. It says in, I think, the Gospel of John, verse 14, it talks about obeying the truth. If we obey the truth, it says the Father and Jesus will, 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 will come and actually make their home in us. This verse says, look at you don't realize that you are the poor, the, the wretched, the, the blind, the lame. You are that marginalized group of people. I have some counsel for you. Come and, and buy from me. That means it's going to cost us something. Come and buy from me this stuff. And then immediately after that, his response is, because I'm going to be knocking at the door of your heart. And I, I'm going to ask you to come in. And if, that's the if, if you open the door to me, we'll come in and have dinner together. Here's what I'd like to suggest is that a lot of us, myself included, may say, Jesus, of course, I will always open the door to you. And I think sometimes the Lord's response is, how do you say that you're going to open the door for a God whom you can't see when we don't open the door for the person whom we can see? Amen? Now, this isn't, this isn't by any means a rebuke because this, what, I, what I'm trying to get at here is I look at it and I say, God is giving us, uh, I think, a key I use that word loosely because um, it's not a secret or anything. A key for the growth of where God wants to take us as a church. We're, we've been talking a lot this year about love and fruit of the Spirit and the one another's. And God's saying, look, at, there's, there's two sides set. There's the natural. The Bible says first in the natural, then in the Spirit. That's what's in Corinthians. There's the natural of loving each other. But ultimately, there's also the Spirit of when you do that well, when you learn to host someone, that means not only making room in your house, but making room in your heart. Then when your time of visitation comes, you're ready to host the Lord. And I think that's ultimately what God's getting at, is it's, it's time we position ourselves right to host the Lord. In fact, the early church, those first 400 years before like hospitals and things became a thing, um, they would actually 
talk so um, openly about the fact that whenever they hosted someone in their home, they looked to find Jesus because they said Jesus is in our midst when we are hospitable. Jesus is in our midst when we host somebody, when we love the strangers. It got so, so much so that they would build a room onto their home and they would call it like the Christ room because that's where Jesus, the stranger, was allowed to stay. And I think as we are, because let's be honest, this is a bit countercultural in 2019, right? As we are countercultural in, in loving people this well, I think we're going to find Jesus even more manifest in our midst. Anybody excited about that? I am. All right. Let's see here. There's two types of people. Why don't you stand with me as we kind of close things up this morning? I think there's two types of people. Some people come, came in here this morning, and they are like my mother. My mother is probably the most hospitable person I've ever met in my life. She will feed you until your guts burst, and you'll feel comfortable at her house, and you'll feel like a friend by the time you leave. And there's some people here today that's like, that's me. I love having people over. I love opening my heart and my home, my table to people. And I just want to encourage you. I want to say go for it. Continue it. And realize that in our culture, you're actually leading somewhere. You're leading where, where our culture's not going. Invite some people in, not just to receive of your hospitality, but to learn from it. Pass off to another generation what it looks like to bring people into your home because not only does, does the culture need it, the church needs it. The church needs that, that level of hospitality. And then there's others of us that I would say aren't quite there yet. There's grace, right? And Jesus is going to teach us what that looks like in bringing people into our lives, into our homes, the inconvenience of going after the stranger and loving them whenever we can. Because no matter how messy it is, no matter how ill-prepared we are, no matter how many questions we don't have answers for, I believe that when we love people in Jesus' name, that he really is in our midst. He says if you, if, if you visit the prisoner, that we visit him. He said, how many, you know, uh, when, Lord, when did we visit the prisoner? He said, when you did, the, did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Amen? When we do it for the least of those. So, so in our culture, I want, I want to encourage us, I want to exalt us, so we're going to go after... We're going to go after loving people radically. We're going to go after opening our hearts and our homes to them. We're going to go after that here in New Life Church. But I have a, a new thing that I just want to throw out to you. And that's this, because I'm so passionate about hosting the presence of God. Um, I, this is new to second service. It's something I didn't have the first because I feel like it's, it's just God gave it to me and I'm going to go with it. I think hosting is so important. And I think today would be a great time as we sing this last song. As always, please come down and, and, and receive ministry um, for any need that you have because we do believe that um, the prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. We do believe that when we agree in prayer that God answers our prayer. We do believe that we don't just serve a miracle working God on paper, but we, we see him uh, in our midst week after week after week. There's barely a week that would ever go by that I don't hear of some crazy miracle story of God supernaturally coming in and doing something in somebody's lives. Those people that were in the baptism, um, there were great testimonies, weren't they? Yes. Um, there's some of them I want, I want you to hear the full testimony because you didn't really hear it. You heard part of it. And their testimony is so stunning that Jesus just walked into their life and changed everything. So I encourage you, if, 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 if you say, hey, today I need prayer for something, now's your time. As we sing, come on right down to the front. We're going to have some people here to um, pray with you. And we're just going to believe God to radically touch your life. 
Uh, for, for everybody uh, else, I suppose, I'm not going to have an altar call or anything. I, I just want to share with you something. That we live under a covenant that's called the new covenant. Which makes the last one the old, right? It's easy math. New covenant, old covenant. The new covenant that we're under, it actually says in Hebrews, a better covenant. Everybody say better. I didn't say it. It's in Hebrews. It's a better covenant. Now, I want to read to you about um, what the church experienced in hosting the Lord himself in the old covenant. Okay? This is the old covenant. We're under the better covenant. This is the old covenant. Um, It has to do when the Ark of the ark of the tabernacle was brought the ark of the covenant was brought into the temple rather I'm just going to read you one one quick verse out of 2 Chronicles 5 it says this it says then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God saints I want to suggest to us that that our encounter with God wherever we've encountered him today is a starting point and not a finishing point. And as we sing today, if we just open our hearts up once again to say, God, I'll take all that you have for me. If under the old covenant, they could have an encounter with God where the priest couldn't even function because his presence was so heavy in the place. Lord, you told me that that this covenant is better. So Lord, I want all that you have for me today. As As we end, I just invite you to open your heart and just invite Jesus to come and fill the area that you've made room for for him in your heart this morning and let hospitality take root let it come out and go forth from this place in the power of Christ's love amen anybody but me excited to make room I am I think it's time for me Father God we thank you we thank you for the call to make room in our lives and our hearts make room for you to show up and do what only you do in the midst of broken people such as us. Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We ask that you bless our week in Jesus' mighty name. Don't forget to take a moment and hang out at the Life Group kickoff. Sign up for a group or two on your way out. Have a great week.